Please pronounce your name correctly for me. When I pronounce it Czech, it sounds slightly different. But I think in English, Alexander Perotka, that's the name I usually pronounce. Or I can be also called Lexa, because I myself, when I work as an artist or and also uh, art critique, I usually use this name instead of the whole Alexander name. Maybe it's difficult to, to use in uh, Anglo-Saxon environment uh, O as it, as it is usually used in, in Slavic languages or in Czech environment. But my name includes it as well, Perotka. No problem. All right. So the first thing I always love to know about people is sort of their backgrounds. So like, how did you get to being creative uh, childhood? Were your parents creative? Was it some schooling, some ex life experience that brought you to the arts? It all started so definitely with my childhood period. I was born in the mid seventies during the communist era when the Europe was divided into two blocks. And um, my parents, they lived outside the center, but they were able to conduct their life like what they expected from it. And my father, a climber, my mother working in the, in the textile workshop. And uh, I was maybe very early, I was indoctrinated or somehow influenced by my father's ideas about the society. He has... As, an, as a climber, he did see himself as some sort of outsider or the person who wanted to be outside the social life when like, and cre he created his own ideas of his life based on his own climbing experience. Sorry, just to be clear, you, yeah? you're saying climbing, like rock climbing, like mountain climbing? Right. Right. Okay. Okay. I think in our environment, we say also clattering, you know, from German, for example. This kind of experience when climbing the rock meant for him, you know, to be very focused within this limited sphere of action, but to be absolute and also be within your own individual environment. He did not feel to be part of the bigger society that was all around us. So that, I think, meant for me also to work with some sort of ideas very early on that were not discussed in general, in, you know, in public and in mainstream media, in news. So... That was, I think, the first kick in my life that was sending me towards something quite specific. And I'm, I think the physical production of art pieces was not the only thing that was very necessary. It was more like the, the way of life from the beginning. And contemplating all the results and the production itself, and then thinking how to deliver the message that was produced through this early on art production to the general public. I don't know what to, how to spec like, uh, specify it, because I can say I was living when 
my parents were building a house. I have seen how the house is built, how much energy it includes, and how, also how the society around us was changing. And then I tried to put all these ideas together. When I was about 15 years old, Czechoslovakia started to split and the regime of the country was changed. So I started to adjust myself into the new reality. So, and I think it follows me up until today because I'm still working with this type of contextual situations or ideas based on geopolitical situations. So leading up to what you do now, so the artwork that you are producing now in 2021 is, is uh, I would, from my American perspective, keep in mind, because, you know, I'm a stupid American in the many ways, that is what I would define as sort of conceptual work, or is it like, what, what how would you define sort of the outputs that you create? Yeah, not the very beginning, but sometime in the 90s, I started to work very conceptual, have an idea and produce it exactly how it was defined and have very clear idea what I am working with and what the product is supposed to be. So in my own case, it was very minimalist period. And at the time, I started to produce some like minimal, minimal architecture that was also some sort of sculpture production. And it was very physical. And it was, in fact, only physical. It was not including any other like uh, social elements within it. I was not presenting it as such. So it was conceptual from the uh, somewhere midway, maybe, until maybe 2000 or something, a few years after when I definitely changed. So what is it that you're producing these days? There are several projects I'm involved with, and, but some of them are having different characters or they are going to be presented differently. Mm. Because one of the levels where, where I'm working, it's also the curatorial work. For example, I'm preparing an exhibition of an artist for 35 square meters gallery here in Prague that is going to be the first part of the program of this year after this lockdown period. And as well as I am working on one bigger exhibition in Nachod Gallery that's on Czech-Polish border, where I'm employed nowadays. And that is, we call in Czech, like this is some sort of stone institution. It's an old institution for 20th century, older and contemporary art altogether. In that situation, I am producing one exhibition for the next year because all was postponed. And it's a bigger exhibition of Anna Dauchikova, who is quite well known nowadays. But the reason why I'm working with it is because she represents this kind of situation of today when the Europe is redefined and split along and other lines. And it's part of her ideas that she's presenting as some sort of video art. So that's my curatorial work. As I said from the beginning, I see it as a, my own art piece almost when I'm producing someone else's exhibition. 
as an artist myself producing physical exhibitions, physical artworks, I'm preparing for the coming exhibition in Slovakia, in a place called Moravani, where we working with environmental questions and, and people's mobility. So I'm into production of physical sculpture art piece, but that's not going to be only physical. Well, from my background, I always come to the idea of an artist who is creating their own work, who also curates. And then you also, from what I understand, you're even an art critic as well. That I find that like it's a little hard to play sort of both sides of that because oftentimes as an artist you want to put your your friends or, or things that are of your own interest and so like try, you know and as a curator you want to try and be objective and all this kind of stuff and so I sometimes I find that's very difficult balance to ride especially then also adding in being a critic as well so like is that easy for you? It's not a, an easy situation, but I found it maybe the only way to in fact to be as an artist to be interested in in curatorial work and also to write the critique because i feel if you as an artist or you know public person if you have like these objectives that you're working for the some it does not have to be exactly like public good but thinking in general then you know, whatever you do, it, the product is always kind of responsible. So I, I do not see it very conflicting. I see other other moments that are much more conflicting than being in three or more positions together as an artist nowadays. What are these other conflicting things? The conflicting, I think, is of when you work more like as a manager, these are big questions, I, I, you know. I like big questions. In fact, it's uh, what I'm aiming for. I, I, li I like this kind of bigger tasks and answers to it. And they are not always fair or not always finished. Because I, I, I see things in general, I see them three-dimensional way. That's probably because I feel myself more as a, as a sculptor in the end. But everything attached to it, it has also this kind of space elements in it. And then it's also the the society, urbanism, you know, borders, what's happening, you know, between the different sides of the of the society, hierarchy, and also limitations what you enable to do within the system where you're living and where you're participating. So I think what I said, it's I see the difficulty somewhere else, the conflicting things, uh, parts of the multi-layer artistic production. It's more about the, the private and the public, as I would say. What it means to be the, you know, what's this public area and what's the private area? When you're behaving on behalf of your individual interests, it's something else, and it's in conflict with the public interest, usually. Well, it's interesting, because like, I come from the United States. I know I'm probably going to keep saying this, but I, I say it a lot. But And in 
when I was being going through school, they they kept talking about like you make a product, you know, you make a piece of art, you put it out in the market, and you sell it, and then you take the income from that, and then you invest in making another piece of art. Now, from my experiences of living in Europe, it's very different than that. So, like, I guess the sort of question is: is like, do you produce work that is meant to be sold, or is is selling even a concern for you? Do you do grants, residencies? Like, how do you sort of fund all of this, uh, if not the through sales? Yes, the the sales are part of it, but I think also like economy itself has so many different ways where it works and where it creates our everyday situations and enables us to produce or not to produce or be or not to be what we really are. And there are so many ways you can make things happen. And I usually aim for the final thing. When I when I have an idea, I want this to happen. There is probably no straight way to get there. So you have to find other ways step by step to get to that situation when the when the product is here. And it does not have to be the product for sale. It could be, but you know, it's also part of discussion of today's art scene. Does it have to be sold? Do you have to produce products or what are you producing? It's it's a bigger question itself. And I don't think I have some quick answer to that. It's polarizing, or I don't know what uh, what the right word is. Well, you're welcome to have a long answer to it, because, I mean, this is the thing. So, again, in America, when I was raised up, we were taught, you know, make a series of works, put it on exhibition, sell it, and all this kind of stuff. I now live in Europe, and I live in Prague. And I have been noticing a lot that it seems like, now tell me if I'm wrong on this, that it's sort of like a lot of the arts support, the arts funding, the whatevers, is the artists or the creative people coming up with really amazing ideas, writing them out. So grants, residencies, other kinds of things, even proposals for for exhibitions. And, and then getting those projects funded. So therefore, in the end, a sale is not even necessary because the process of producing it was already basically paid for. Is that right? Yes, that's right. That's amazing. But there are other aspects to it. You know, when, when thinking about your artistic freedom, uh, your independence, or, you know, you don't have to be an avant-garde artist, but uh, there is always some liberties question so when it's funded it's usually funded for some reason by other institutions uh, higher up european institutions and they are also focused on you know certain production they want to have it they want to have it delivered so you are part of the process in that situation if it's funded this way but i think every other funding is similar and you have to know what you're gaining or what you're part of. And once you do it, you agree with it. So it's also like European Union's policies to expand and connect places and connect people, connect organizations, and also connect organizations that are kind of grassroots, for example. And that's quite weird situation too. Like when someone is grassroots, they do not usually operate beyond some, you know, 
beyond their own environment. But suddenly, they become part of this bigger project of Europe. So you see that as a as a problem? Yes, I see it as a problem. I mean, from the position of an individual artist, when participating in it. So you have to know what it is all about, what its own aim is, and, you know, and decide on your own. And not take it only as granted. This is where the money comes from. We need the money, so we spend the money. I think it's very naive, and it's been criticized quite, you know, I think from maybe 2004, five, it was visible and publicly investigated by, uh, for example, Maria Lindt or, and others uh, who, who criticized the process of financing the art scene of Europe because they've, they've seen it as very political itself, this uh, financial system here. It is absolutely political. There's no question about that. But to a certain extent, even in the you know traditional American style like art market, that's equally political. So, I mean, it's it's the differences is like government political versus like social political. Right. Yes. Yes. So I, I mean, I, I just feel that you have to go through all of that, all like you know, process all these aspects of your participation when you receiving funding. Then you decide individually or in group depends how you're working. And of course, that's what you see nowadays here too. Like the contemporary art scene in in Czech Republic is quite divided about this subject. You know. Who is going to fund your project? These individuals or governmental institutions, are they fair in what they are doing, what they are dealing with, what they are wanting? Where the money comes from? What's the origin of it? Is it the good money or the bad money? Does it come from financial executions or whatever? You know, It's contemporary discussion. This is the first I've ever heard of this. So, like, please educate me a bit more on this. So, like, specifically, like, okay, in the United States, where I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., and we we had these, like, bad money funders, which was Philip Morris, which was a cigarette company. So, like, they funded a lot of art projects, but they killed millions of people to get that money by producing cigarettes. So, like, here in the Czech Republic, what are you, what are you defining as, like, good money, bad money? Well, it's, that depends on. I think there are different artists roofing differently or different, mostly it's groups of artists because this is more like the group's opinion. And I think every one of us is, is identified within certain circles here. The circle even is kind of an open circle. It's representing you too. I don't want to name anyone, but I think Within our system, everyone knows who is, I do not know myself the details, but in general, there is the money that comes from mining business, for example, like Ostrava, most uh, these uh, areas that are like uh, having lasting damage. There is the money, as I mentioned before, coming from these new economies of executions on people's properties. Uh, there are many individuals here who are financing the contemporary art scene 
and having influence here. Okay, what about some good money places then? Because like, for instance, just before you get too far into this, this podcast actually is funded by the EEA grants from Norway, Liechtenstein, and Iceland. So that is that a good one? Well, I, I can't tell you like straight away, but uh, of course, I'm, I myself feel part of the European project. So I feel like when I'm financed from that direction, I'm fine with that. But I have also right to ask my own questions where we are heading and how it is all organized. So, well, I think that's a good money. When you're aware of it, of all other processes around it and decision making. No, no, not a lot. No. <laughs> I just put in the application and they accepted it. So like, it, I'm great. I mean, I love, uh, my heritage is actually from the uh, Scandinavian region. So like, I'm good with getting supported by like, basically my, uh, my family. Yes, yes, yes. But, you know, in my individual case, because I have also part of my family living in Scandinavia or in Sweden, and I have been living there myself. So, because everything looks so perfect in many ways and processed properly and democratic. Once you see something that does not fit that objective, then you have doubts. And it's very normal for the Scandinavian person to think about both sides of the, you know, what's good, what be- what's bad of it. And sometimes it's completely mixed up and you can't do anything about that. It's like schizophrenic situation the well like it's the tv show um what is it the good place like the, have you ever seen this tv show the good place uh it's a great sure. show no. I, I highly recommend it fabulous show but at the end of it they basically it comes down to like no matter what you do in life if you try to do everything perfectly where there's like no damage to the environment no uh, supporting of you know taking people's homes what you know some of the examples that you gave then there's almost nothing left for you in life like almost everything trickles down to something bad like i can go buy farm raised chickens you know you know uh, holistically pre, you know fed and given lots of land and all that and then but in the end it's going to be packaged in plastic and then so therefore there i've screwed that all up so like there's n- there's almost mm-hmm. no no chain of events that you can ever do in your entire life where you'll have no negative impacts on something yes it is. i definitely agree but you know like i think as everyone nowadays uh, feels a little bit political i mean like be part of the social environment and an active part so you also like judge your own individual participation within it and then act maybe differently or you know try to modify it and it's a part of our everyday decision making I, I would say if if we do not even think that this is happening i think that's completely wrong and also especially as an artist uh, you more like uh, open into like different daily situations that and you have to deal with them individually and decide so you you kind of active participant of the like you know, different social processes here it's also then we come to ethics you know that's in fact ethical question all of it 
it is a great ethical question because so like it leads me to think like so let's say there's a museum exhibition that is supported by some horrible funder let's take philip morris because i everybody agrees cigarettes are bad so philip morris supports this exhibition does that make the exhibition less worthy does that make the art that's be that has been commissioned less worthy like does it somehow taint like does it affect how you as a viewer sees the exhibition because it was funded that way and it does does even does that trickle down to i don't res- like losing respect for that artists who participate in these things in fact uh, depends in fact if you speak about artists I think in that perspective, there is no way to judge it within some sort of ethics. But when you speak about the public person activity, culture management, curators, you know, all those other activities, and some of them are also involving artists or artists are in, in management position, then yes. But I think in general, when speaking about art, you know, what art is, what it, uh, what's the quality of it. Uh, I don't think the judgment can come from this direction. You know, when the result is here, you have an art-related or art project done, art piece, then you judge the thing individually. And I think you don't have to have it attached to all those processes around it i i don't see it i'm asking i'm not telling like uh, to to me i'm not um i'm not as involved let's say uh with the kind of the ethics that go behind the arts and stuff like that as obviously you are so i'm sort of asking like basically should i be and should anybody like should the listeners to this be more involved in those ethical choices of like who to ask funding from and who to seek support from yes but i i think that i i would like to separate this a little bit from the final product what art is or what uh, what's the role of art today and from all other processes around it, including curatorial work, you know, management that works with art. There, I think you should have some judgment. You, there you can apply your critique. But the individual art piece, I think there, there are no tools to judge it according to this type of general ethics. Well, what if I'm an artist and I have a piece and somebody, let's say, who is the CEO or the president of one of these horrible companies just wants to buy it? Like, should I sell it to them? Yeah, but it's, uh, it, I, as I said, it's your individual choice. I, and I think it is going to be seen as such by others. Also, by acting within the art scene, what you do with your own production seen by others and is judged by others and then you know everything evolves around it but it does not change the the general what you call it does not change the quality of of the piece itself well like i'll give you a good example exxon uh oil company horrible polluters horrible in many ways ecologically throughout the world for sure nobody questions that 
but they have an amazing art collection. So if I were to get one of my pieces in their art collection and then put on my CV that I have a piece in the ExxonMobil art collection, do, like should that be something that we're that we as part of the arts community are like, oh, you shouldn't do that? No, I I, I can't tell you should not do that in this situation. I, I don't think it should be questioned, questionable, criticized, but that it can't be forbidden. It's just it's part of your freedom when you produce it and how you. You know, the whole management around your own production, the judgments come after you. But from my own side, how I see it, I, I definitely see it as a separate thing. What do you produce? What is your aim? Why are you doing? But we have the piece in the end right here. It's something. It, it includes all these social elements around it, how it was produced, how it was financed, your individual input you know, your direction, how you're thinking, how you're living, and that's it. But no one can tell you you're not allowed to produce it if you're able to produce it and sell it the way you want to sell it. It's your whole persona in it. It's, you know, I, I don't think we we are allowed to, within the, the rule of law. We, we kind of do what we can do. And sometimes even crossing the law because, uh, you know, it's still that type of freedom we are speaking about when producing art. All right. Another topic that I'm fascinated with that I, I've never spoken about but I've heard lots about is like artists' fees for exhibitions. Is this something that you know much about? Are you involved in it, both in the, the artist artistic side as well as the curatorial side? Well, I think it was not... I think from like let's say 10 15 years ago it was not present here everyone was producing whatever able to produce and for the exhibition places but they were not receiving fees or anything but I think in nowadays situation it should be some sort of standard of dealing with artists the gallery space and how to finance the art like kind of the first step to support the artist and to give it certain value within the system where we're living today. If it's based only on that he will find, he, she will, will find other ways of production because he's more capable of the finances of it, it's too much limiting. We should have some sort of the ground level or kind of level where we start and that should be some basic financing of what they call this art production. It's not the market itself yet, but it, you know, this is one element very important today. Otherwise, art production becomes just, it's not our freedom, but it's just freedom of a few who have the capacity, the financial capacity, economy to do that. Oh, I absolutely love the idea of artist fees. I've always had a pet peeve where like basically, Galleries have exhibitions where they sell my artwork, but like I'm the one that put all the invested all the time and the money and the energy and the education into producing this piece of art. And I and then they can exhibit it and then they could even get press from it. People could come and see it. Now maybe they don't somebody doesn't buy it at that exhibition or in that gallery, but I should get paid just for like my time and effort to 
put it, you know, take it from my studio, put it in a crate or a shipment thing, ship it there or, or, you know, put getting a truck and delivering it there, whatever I need to do, because that's time and money that I'm taking out of my life to be involved in those exhibitions for literally no money and just the hope and a prayer that somebody might buy something. So the idea of having sort of a stipend even for an artist fee that that just makes it so like, okay, you're going to participate in this and we'll pay for your time and your energy to participate, I think is a fabulous idea. Yes, I definitely agree with that. This is, I think, this kind of developed world, this is the basics that's supposed to be functional and not only like dreaming about it and having it somewhere and somewhere not it should be some sort of standard of today you cannot value like something within economical system of today you have to value this individual artistic input in this situation as anything else you cannot sort of i don't know what to say you cannot think this is a voluntary situation where you do things without measuring financial you know, the, the financial situation, your own input, your investments, once it is exhibited, once it is playing its own role within what I call social environment, it should be paid for. I mean, it, it's not the commercial price, but it's a price just to start with. What sounds to me like you're very critical of the existing art market structure. I use the word market very loosely on that. So institutions, sales, whatever. It, it sounds like you think it's it's not working successfully for the, specifically sort of for the artists these days. Am I right in that sort of insight? Yes, yes, you are. Yes. Okay, then to help, help me out. I want to know, you think it's slightly broken, which I, in many ways I agree with. What would be some ways that you might think that the entire industry could be changed to be more supportive, beneficial, whatever word you want to put to it? It's hard to say because I, for a long period of time, it was all dependent on these individual players within what they called art management system, the state institutions were left behind and they are in so many places and still running, having quite good finances, but still not fully understanding what's happening around. So I think first, I feel this uh, structural parts of this art management that are already in place, they, they should catch up with the situation and understand what's happening, what's running, what the actual problems are. But I feel in many cases they are just sleeping or just awakening a little bit. But that's all. It can't be all dependent on private investors and, you know, private galleries, as it was for some, for quite long period. While the state-run institutions were still in place, not fully understanding the contemporary I think there is some like long-term misunderstanding, but I feel in some cases it's catching up slowly. Okay, wait, I want to dig down a little bit into that. So like you brought up institutions versus galleries. Like to you, so I have my perspective being from America, but for you as a European, as specifically as a Czech, 
what's your what do you believe the role of a gallery is in comparison to the role of an institution well here is i think in our environment it's historically quite mixed because these galleries are or these usually bigger institutions within almost everywhere in the regions here as well they all have they are established to preserve art investigate research focus on contemporary art production you know they have so many layers and it's part of the system for very long but they are not fulfilling all the tasks but they are participating and i think it's part of our understanding of culture as well in general like we support this institution it comes from you know it's financed by our taxes and it's meant to be for the general public to you know it's investment towards the future and they're supposed to play the role you know what they are meant to so i think it's part of the fabric like you know it's part of the history it's it's here but i would like to see it functional i know the private sphere i agree it's a real competitor but there is also a third element you know there is a gallery in Zhishkov where i'm one of the curators is focused on young unknown artists progressives whatever you can call it it but it's not commercial institution it's just finance for its own being there is no capital you know being saved and that's called 35 meter square right right yes so it's another i think type of institutions and there are maybe more than this i mean more types than this tree that i announced but they are all competing with each other it's good i think that this is happening of course they have to compete it has to be progressive the scene but um, on behalf of regional or state run agencies institutions you know they work in very long term and they have you know deposits collections they have researchers there people employed who are educated this way but still i i think they do not fulfill this public what you call the the task that are they are employed for well i mean that's an interesting dilemma that institutions have because on the one hand the institutions should be the well okay i should rephrase this in my, from my perspective institutions are the arbiters of quality and or good taste saying like this artist or this artistic movement is worthy of the public's appreciation and whatever else so on one hand they they should be sort of setting the standard for what and who is quality work but on the other hand they all still need to keep their doors open and pay their bills and so they do have to pander a little bit to the public and say okay fine we think that this exhibition of this you know avant-garde thing is amazing but fine we'll put up a picasso exhibition just to get you in the door yes but i think this is still sort of under construction the situation of these state funded institutions because it's not fixed idea what they supposed to serve who they supposed to serve and but of course in in ideal case 
they supposed to be serving almost everyone. What was the ideal way? What uh, you know? What, what people you can't produce what just the general public wants. You have to bring them the of course the quality, but the quality is what it is. Well, quality is subjective, also. Yes, yes, but I'm, I mean, in these cases, you have to find some sort of general or like some objective quality. I mean, mostly what we're talking about, I think, is more the process, how things are happening how they are processed, how they are discussed. And that's, I think, what you're supposed to bring to the general public to be aware of it. It does not have to be something that they like individually like, but more something like upgrade their, their own individual skills or you know, knowledge of the world today, the cultural world. I understand what you're saying, but if you, it's a fine line because if you push it too far, so let's say you go really sort of outrageous kind of artworks for your, as an institution to exhibit, nobody's going to come in and nobody comes in, funding gets cut, you know, you know, they just don't have ticket sales. They don't have whatever, you know, however else they get their income, which is generally based on attendance. So you can't, go so far that there's that the thing is uninteresting to the public. So there's need to be this balance of somewhat interesting to the public, but somewhat pushing them, but not too far, but also not swinging the other way and pandering to like the lowest common denominator also. Yes, yes, it's, it's right. But from my own experiences or from what I have seen, it's not, for example, touching so much of the coming generations, uh, the younger generations, they are a bit left behind because what is presented to them is something like they're supposed to, they're supposed to be preserved here. And it's not meant to be a process when things are sort of produced and they are part of it, you know, because they have these skills for the future. I feel they are a bit left behind. Definitely, you have to balance it, but you have to like different parts of the society and uh, then the results you know you will see but uh, for you have to try the experiment you can't be just fixed on few ideas that you know nowadays society is not even interested into because they are outdated well that that's an ongoing problem with lots of institutions basically their their patrons are dying and there are not younger patrons coming in to either financially support or corporately support or whatever these these institutions to continue their their operations so like what what in your opinion like what could be done to try to engage that younger demographic in what is traditionally something for an older demographic i think you have to first you have to start discussion like within the, the institution to, you know, to with this type of aim to get to new ideas, the ideas that are already in public, process them, trying to find some sort of compromise to give it, you have the space, you have tools, just make it happen. And start with discussions, you know, before the production process, or all of it is what kind of production. I think you have to do just a few steps before you can judge results. But what we have nowadays may be more like different generations struggling with each other. Because 
you have a position, you keep position, and uh, you leave so many behind. It's not because they are state-run only. I think it's, in general, this is the situation today when everyone is competing with everyone. And it also depends on your age. And the parents are competing with the children and etc. But still, you can try, you can experiment. And I think these platforms, state-run institutions, have the capacity to try and see what happens. If they don't do that, I think it's just a waste of you know, finances, time, anything. Well, is it part of like, just, I know this is going to sound really horrible, but like, is being a patron of the arts, you know, so like supporting the arts in some way, simply something that comes with age? Because like, I think back to my own childhood versus now I'm 47 years old. Like I've, in the, when I was young, I, I hated jazz music and I've grown to appreciate it. When I was young, I hated classical music and I've grown to appreciate it. You know, like I know people that like hated the opera when they were young and by the time they were like 50, they suddenly were absolute advocates and lo in love with the opera. So like, does it, is it being a patron or a supporter of the arts? Is that simply something that comes with maturity and age? Uh, it's hard to say, but, but of course, I think it's, it is economical as well. When you build your own environment around you, when you're aging, you know, it's also financial process. Uh, and then you're able more to influence, you have more chances to make things happen, but you're less like experimental, of course. But when we speak about these institutions, I think as we understand it nowadays, they supposed to be like there should not be this divide of generations. But it's it's hard to imagine that this is for just for some of us. Depends on age. No, I think it should be it should try. What is its own function? Question it. You know, try different ways and then find then make some judgments. And do continue. I think it's, it is its own role. If it's individual business, I can't change what the other one is aiming for. But this should be in in the interest of uh, of the general public. Well, I guess that then lends to the question of like, what is the result? Like, it, what's the utopian perfect world for the arts? <laughs> Oh, it's, it's, I don't know what that's the, the utopian. I think the, in my own eyes, it, the utopian means it's going to discuss things that are really contemporary. And that's, it's not just about generations. It's everyone's problem. We're dealing with something. What's happening today? How it's happening? How it's presented? How it's discussed? What language we're using? There are so many questions, and we feel involved with that. But when institutions who are supposed to process it or give it some forum, and they are not doing it, I think that's the wrong situation. Well, you can't, you can't say they're not doing it because you work as a curator, so like you're not doing it. <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, sometimes it's good to so kind of a bit overdrive it, because 
it's having some shape and it's it's not really not coherent but you know it's that you do not see the trajectory you do not see the way it's heading you see different ways everyone is trying differently if it's trying not everyone is trying and you want to see some bigger aims not just to keep running and not knowing why you're running well i mean like because there are things out there like okay so like let's take there's social media okay so social media like was said like oh it's great it's democratizing the arts because it's it's the the masses are saying something's good because it gets lots of followers or lots of likes or whatever on social media which it started to sort of interfere almost with the sort of arbiters of good taste the the curators the gallerists the people that made the, the traditionally made the decisions of saying this artist is worthy to be in the canon or to be part of this movement or whatever and so like there's this issue of like what is the current role of like art criticism and art curation when the internet and social media has such a powerful influence Yes, but I think it's the whole world like that is defined by these elements of like internet shared information and ideas of it, how they were, I know, 10, 15 years ago, how they are today, and they play important part of it. So we are always, there is some sort of competition. And also with this media that we are dealing daily today, and especially when it comes to visual art production, that is the main competitor today. There is a, an incredible sheer volume of work being produced on social media. like, And it's not necessarily like finished paintings or finished projects or whatever, but it's the process, the behind the scene videos, the, all this stuff. Like there's this incredible increase in the speed of the sheer volume of work that's being produced because at any given moment I could pick up any social media platform and see a million different things that call themselves art but is there still a place for critics and curators and everybody else to be those sort of gatekeepers to put them to elevate these people from enjoyed by the masses to part of the art historical canon yeah of course there is a role because it's like any other public person's role when, when you criticize art nowadays and of course when you get your own public people understand you or not understand you follow you not follow you is the same system and of course it's based on some sort of on some level of knowledge and it's not only popularity but i think we have some system around us and we do not even know what the system is you know structure and of course it has its own hierarchy too well i think that there is definitely a place for art criticism and related to works but we have to ident identify where we are where we are standing and what the what the system itself is because in this liberal world everything seems possible everything is kind of you can aim for anything you like, but then suddenly you realize there is some structure holding this all together and us together. I think 
it's worth at least to try to identify it first, and then you will find that there is concrete position where you're standing. It's a difficult balance, the the whole thing of the curator, the role of curators, because they have been the gatekeepers for the arts industry for so long, and they have become sort of the arbiters of good taste. But there's more curators, because now it's not just institutional curators, but there are now independent curators, and there are curators that just work for market galleries, commercial galleries. So like, there are, the sheer volume of curators, to a certain extent, has like watered down the, the elitist status of a curator. Well, maybe, but I think it also allows you, as an individual curator, in this case, to behave differently or be focused differently and act also in situations that where you might not be, you know, it is expansion process for you as well as a curator. You have to adapt in these situations. You cannot just keep, you know, framing everything, limiting everything, but you have to adapt yourself into the new reality. And that's part of your needs. You have to do that. All right. So let's, I've got two last questions that I generally end all my podcasts with, which is, do you have three artists or curators or anybody that you admire in the arts industry that you think should be getting more attention? Yes. I'm myself because I'm moving from one area to the other when it comes to like art criticism and I'm more involved with what you call geopolitics and geography itself and things like that. So there are quite many authors that come to my mind when thinking about the importance of their work. But not all of them are artists. And of course when in order to answer this question, I would easily answer it, you know, when speaking about uh, exhibitions I have produced, artists I am planning to exhibit. So, for example, there is one young artist from Finland who is living in Prague nowadays, Jone Weissenen. And why I have chosen him I can't say what his future is within the art scene, but I can see he's working with very contemporary ideas of identity and, and borders and, and also online identity. When recommending artists, I would first maybe focus on some sort of progressive ideas and artists who are working with them. I can't say the future is like that, but that's what it is today. And is one of them. Another one, I can say, is also from Swedish environment, young artist. She names herself Ida Ida Ida. She's including diverse uh, social ele elements within mechanical sculptural art production. And that's another one. I would like to see the future where she's heading, but she's uh, partly successful now at least in Sweden. And another artist is, for example, Viktor Hakos, who is an architect, and he's just graduating at the Prague's Academy here. He's building architecture that 
includes mistakes in traditional architectural planning. So that's another element that I'm frequently thinking about, about urbanism and architecture, how it is speaking about our general society. And in this case, Viktor Kakos is one of them. What he is going to do in coming years, I can't say. Maybe he's going to become more an architect than an artist. I don't know. But now he's somewhere in between. And there is maybe one more artist, if I can mention someone. Certainly. Yeah, go right ahead. So Viktor Marx, but he comes also from Scandinavian or from Stockholm. Another architect, but an artist as well who try to build independent exhibition spaces within this quite rigid Swedish gallery system, where it's like functional system, but it, there are certain elements of contemporary art that you cannot exhibit there, or they can't kind of, they do not give you the right space. So Victor Marx started to build some sort of independent platforms for others to participate. And he's an artist, an architect as well. I would like maybe, I have one person that I am an artist originally from Thailand, but living in Stockholm as well. Nongkran Pan Mongkol that I frequently cooperate with. It's not my business to make her popular, but I'm working with her because she's frequently bringing completely different ideas that have no like European, what do you call it? It's not part of the European cultural history, but she can quickly bring like the vision how to participate in an art project and its visual character based on a very different tradition from Southeast Asia. So she is another artist I'm, I feel it's worth to look at. If I can add one more thing, but I just don't want to make it more complicated for you to listen to, but because I'm looking in other areas like anthropology, uh, geography, and there is, for example, an author that I am frequently mentioning or, or kind of relating my own ideas to his own vision of, of geopolitics is Tongchai Vinichakul, originally Thai academic, who is nowadays, I think, in America, in fact. But I, I'm not sure in what academic sphere he is there, but he processed what he called Thai geopolitical history of the 19th century and the 20th century and created some, let's say, general ideas that you can we can apply in our European environment or elsewhere because they are kind of so, you know, how the borders are created based on technologies and identities in place. And, and he found some term that he calls geobody. And this geobody means several things together. It's kind of based on location, culture, people who are living there, physical people, their emotions, you know, all these things together. 
create this new like a subject that acts itself in contemporary world. Just one more, but he's not an artist, but I would like to see him within the art discussion. Fabulous. Okay. Last question would be um, any advice for the next generation? Something that maybe you as part of the institution and curating sort of have noticed that a lot of the younger are not doing as well as they possibly could. I think there is no general recommendation how to be an artist, how to sustain your artistic activity throughout your individual life. But for example, my, my professor who is already died here in Prague, Aleš Veseli, I remember when we were attending his monumental studio, he was speaking about like long distance run, that the process is like taking you all and he wanted us to be prepared for the future, like kind of taking it as it is, because it's not just one event or two ten events, two years event, five years event. But it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a marathon. Yes, it's a marathon. And I think that's the only thing to be prepared for when you decide to become part of the art scene, when you're planning for that. And it's not a game. It's deadly serious. <laughs> oh, let's hope it's not deadly serious, but it's it's professionally serious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just I want to a bit upgrade the seriousness that it's taking you all in. I think we all aiming to be quite. We are developing as a society more towards like different forms of criticism, and there is nothing to be taken as a completely granted. Everything has to be processed and questioned. This is another condition necessary to be, I think, part of the future art scene. Is be like have this kind of your individual critical position and be part of the general discussion. Not not be just, you know, you're not only the producer, but you're also the manager, and you are different. You have many different roles into the future. So another thing to be prepared for. Marvelous. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. Yes, thank you too. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. Now, of course, I have to ask you a favor. As you all know, I have a great disdain for the algorithm that rules our lives, but it's a fact of our life. And what I need from you is I need you to give us a review. It could be star, it could be a comment, you know, that you appreciate the guests, you appreciate the learning, um, whatever it is. Generally, I prefer positive reviews, but you know, whatever. So the reason is, is because that is the one and only way that, that the algorithm can arrange and sort of organize better podcasts over lesser good podcasts. So the quantity and the frequency of reviews and ratings is one thing that we can control. So I'm asking you all to please do this because that is something you can do to be supportive and helpful to the podcast. So thank you. 
Wise Fool is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunst Centrene in Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website, wisefoolpod.com. <laughs>